0: The title of my message this evening is Advice from Dad. I got to hang out with my dad uh, this past week. He lives in Florida, uh, Pensacola. is uh, he, a pastor as well. In fact, his standing joke is that he says, uh, guys, if you see me baptizing anybody and I don't come up, just realize that the oil slick has made it into the baptistry because I, <laughs> you know, I just, you know, slipping right there because... You know, they've got oil washing on their beaches and all of that mess as well. But I get to see my dad about once a year, and, uh, and, and this year we got to hang out. We were in Orlando together. We weren't doing the Disney World thing or whatever all that was, although I saw lots of mouse ears and that kind of thing. There was a big convention going on, and so we had some meetings and some worship things and all of that, and it was just a blast hanging out together. And uh, I, my dad, I, I, usually, I often talk about my family, because my family is important to me, other than God and Jesus Christ, what he's meant in my life. My family is extremely important. So you may have heard me talk about my dad before, but honestly, he's just my hero. And uh, I thought there's no better way than to share on Father's Day some things that I learned from my dad. In fact, as we were walking down in the hotel lobby just, I don't know, Tuesday or Wednesday this week, and just... And just chatting, we share heart to heart and we're best friends now. It it really is, it's father-son relationship, but it's a friend kind of relationship. And and as we shared, he he said, son, he said, you know, when I die, I really want to be remembered for three things. And he said, I want to be remembered that I walked humbly and that I was holy and that I had a heart for God and for people. And he said, those three things are the three things I strive in my life. And I thought there for just a minute, and I thought, wow, you're exactly right, Dad. thats I mean, that so rang true because that describes his life in a nutshell. With Everything that I know as a kid growing up, and even now as we both serve God in just different states and that kind of thing, that rings true, and I thought, one thing, Dad, if I have the opportunity to, to do your funeral, and I don't mean this morbidly, I already know what I'm going to share, and you just gave it to me. But secondly, I said, I know what I need to share with the good folks at New Hope tonight. And so I want to share with you about three things, that advice from dad. You know, some of you guys, you didn't grow up with dad. Maybe your father passed away. Maybe dad just wasn't around a lot. So I've sat on airplanes, I've watched it, and I see it happen over and over again. There's a lot of children that are flying around the country this time of year, and they're going back from mom through the school year, and they're now with dad in the summer. Then they go back with mom in the fall. Maybe you didn't grow up with dad. Maybe dad just wasn't around. Maybe it wasn't as a result of divorce. Maybe he, just, maybe he just left. I don't know what your relationship was like with your dad growing up. And even men, even though you've been grown and you've been a man a long time, the relationship with your dad still has a huge impact in your life. Maybe you grew up with a dad like my dad's dad that really was not a good influence. In fact, a terrible influence. My grandfather took my dad out to the bars. He'd be there getting drunk and getting tanked, and my my dad would be their little five- or six-year-old kid sitting at the bar having his Shirley Temple or whatever. Maybe you had that kind of dad. I don't know. But regardless of where that all is, I want to give you this evening some advice from dad. So take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the book of James, chapter 4, verse 10. James, chapter 4, verse 10. The Bible says in James 4 that we ought to be humble. James says, "...humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up." Not a suggestion, not just a good idea, and honestly, at the end of the day, not even advice. It is an absolute command that you and I are to humble ourselves in not the eyes of our fellow man but we are to humble ourselves in the eyes of the Lord and then ultimately he is the one that lifts us up. Now, we all wrestle with this, guys, because all of us at heart want to be somebody. I mean, we really do. We may not want to be somebody to everybody. If You watch American Idol. <laughs> Some of those people need a reality check, all right? I'll not be auditioning for the music group on American Idol. You'll never see me on stage. I can promise you that, okay? I'm not there. I realize I don't sing very well. In fact, there's not very, a whole lot of things I do very well in life. All of us at some level, they'll want to be somebody, even if we want to just be somebody with our own close family or our friends or even our own mind. Nobody really at heart just says, I hope I'm a nobody in this world and just, you know, run over and that kind of thing. But yet, God says, guys, we are to be humble. That in our heart, it's not that we become somebody, even in our own minds, as we are to be humble before our God. You see, God hates pride, and at heart, pride sets ourselves up at God as God. That's why God hates it. Because when we become prideful, we say, look at me over here. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I've done. Look how good I am. And at heart, we are setting ourselves up to be like God. We really are. Instead of worshiping him, we're saying, world, come and worship or bow down or at least look at me and think I'm hot stuff. And we totally miss the reality that all we are and all we have is because of God. We can take credit for absolutely nothing. That's why the Bible says that pride goes before fall. In fact, that's why in verse 6 the Bible says that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Because pride is directly opposed, diametrically opposed to, people, to God. And so you and I, if we're going to be God-worshippers, God-fearers, God-honorers, as we sang tonight in worshiping Him, there's no room for pride in our heart. But it's tough because our heart really does want to be somebody. We want to be lifted up and just pick your thing, whatever it is, and we kind of want to be good and known for that. Now, the issue isn't that we just need to step back and say, Oh, God, I'm just worthless. I'm just nobody. I'm no good at anything. I'm just miserable and wretched. That's not it. You know, there was a time when that's even honestly in my heart saying, Okay, I need to be humble. Well, God, I just, you know, I'm just whatever. And that's not what God's looking for. He's not looking for our self-abasement, our groveling. He already knows that we're just but dust and that we really aren't hot stuff after all. The issue isn't that we think less of ourselves. The issue, catch this, the issue is not that we think less of ourselves. The issue is that we think of ourselves less. You see, the the point is, is that we need to put our attention, our focus on God, not abasing and groveling on ourselves before him. You see, there are many people in this world walking around that that even have a a bad identity. And we talk about, you know, that kind of, we get into all of the psychology and all the stuff and the mumbo-jumbo in our mind and our heart and all spun around. And to be honest with you, a lot of that would straighten itself out in our pure and a right relationship with God. But the reality is, is we just need to say, God, you are everything to me and I worship you. You are awesome and it is incredible all that you've done and are doing in my life. I owe everything unto you. Because at the end of the day, God doesn't make junk. And God made you so you're not junk. At the end of the day, Jesus didn't die just for nobody. He died for you. (laughs) He died because he loved you. You are important to him, so you are worth that, and you are valuable to Almighty God. So the issue isn't that we just try to efface ourselves and just say that we're worthless and meaningless, because that's not reality. God made us. Jesus died for us. But it still is all about him and not about us. You see, guys, our entire life ought to be oriented to him. Our our praise, our glory, and our thanksgiving ought to be aimed at God. All praise that comes at us ought to be like a a mirror deflected, if you will, back upwards to God, that God gets all the credit for that, all the credit. So we just be humble and simply just thank you, God, for being a child of the king. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to know you. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to, to worship you. Humbled, God. I'm just absolutely humbled to be able to even just pray in your presence. I'm humbled, God, just to be alone and to be able to worship before you and to lead others into worship. God, we should be, our heart ought to be that we're humbled to simply serve Him and to know Him, to know that He, the Lord of the universe, is paying attention to us. You see, God, our attention, our focus ought to be upon him as we, our hearts are, ought to be moved and just blown away that the God of all glory has chosen to know us and to love us and to save us, and we get a chance to walk in the middle of that. You see, that's all about him, and that's not about us at all. The picture is, is kind of like this. When my dad and I walked to, to Denny's, we're kind of cheap in the big Fancy hotel that we were supposed to stay at, you know, with all the whatever. I said, let's go out. And by the way, it's hot in Orlando in June. Oh my goodness. I couldn't wait to get back to New York. I thought, you people can have it. I might come down here in February or March. You know, that's another story. But it's just hot, hot, hot. And we walked uh, to Orlando and uh, we were going, or walked to Denny's in Orlando there and we were going to get lunch. And uh, there was a man, a gentleman sitting outside on the bench. And I I looked at him, and all of a sudden I said, this guy is in trouble. He's hurting. His clothes looked in rough shape. He just, he looked rough. And in my heart, I just said, God, I need to talk to him. Said hello, and and he said hello as well as we walked by. And he walked inside, and and, and, uh, I didn't realize it, but he came in right behind us, and he sat down. And once I realized he was there, I immediately in my heart, everything said, you need to share Christ with him. So I struck up a conversation with him. I found out he he immediately said something. Well, I'm having a tough day and I'm really praying. I said, what's going on? Tell him about it. He said, well, my my wife and I just moved down here from Ohio. And he said, you know, we got a place to stay at the shelters. I'm at homeless shelters. I got her in, but I don't have an idea. I don't have any place to stay tonight. And I'm, I need God to help me out. And we talked a little bit further. And so long story short, I ended up buying him lunch. And all the while I'm saying, God, how do you want me to help him? And, and I, was, as I was probing and just hearing a story about uh, Christ. Come to find out. And I'm pretty, be honest with you, I'm tough. I'm pretty cynical when people tell me that they're, they have a relationship with Christ. And I ask a lot of tough questions. As I probed everywhere around it, this guy really is born again, and he knows Jesus is Lord just about three weeks later. And so I said, okay, how can we help you? So we bought him lunch, and there is my dad and me and him and hanging out. And anyway, long story short, we, we found some folks in the area that could help him until he could get his ID and all of that kind of thing. His wife was working actually at Denny's. She had, a, she had gotten a job and transferred down, and he was just in rough shape. Now, here's the deal. You and I, as we go out into this world and as we live our life, and as we serve Him, and it's just as you do in your world, and as I did that day, as God kind of interrupts and breaks in, and all of a sudden I wasn't expecting to buy lunch for a homeless guy and trying to help him out. But God says, this is now, this is the time. I want you to help this gentleman out. And just as you run into those things, maybe you're at the grocery store, mom, and it's a word of encouragement you share. Maybe it's a teller at the bank. Maybe it's a child at school. Maybe you share the gospel with your neighbor. Maybe you reach out to somebody. Maybe it's a brother or sister here in church that God just puts on your heart to call them up and have coffee with them, whatever. But as you sense God leading you and using you, and as you step out, as it were, onto the water that we just sang about a minute ago, here's the picture. God in heaven is saying, way to go. That's exactly right. You are my child. You rock. Look at him. That's my boy down there serving me. We are a child of the king. You see, God in heaven says, my son Jesus died for them. And my adopted children, look at what they're doing. Look, world, at how they're serving me. You see, we serve before an almighty God. And as we live out our life before him, we are humble before him. It's not that we grovel and don't do things and and act like we just are, you know, absolutely worthless. We serve the king, and God in heaven, as it were, stands and praises and claps and says, Way to go! That is what I designed you for. That's what my son died for. He died for that. You carry out and keep on with his mission. Folks, we should live a life of humility before Almighty God. We should expect God to do incredible things through our life, but we walk humbly because it's Almighty God who does and works in us in all of those things. The second piece of advice that I want to share with you from my dad to you is that we ought to live holy. Turn with me, if you would, just a couple of pages. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. The second thing my dad shared as we walked through that hotel lobby, and he just said, son, I want to live humbly before God. And he said, secondly, I want to be holy. I want to be holy before God. Look at Hebrews 12, 1. Read with me. The Bible says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you know that God is a race that's set before each of us? Notice the race is set. We don't set it. By the way, that's one of the problems in the world, and that's part of the fruit of pride. We think that we're going to go set our own race. Reality is, is we need to discover and look for the race that God is laying out before us. The race is already set, and we are just simply to run that one that He has already laid out before us. And it's a race designed just for us, custom made. Not for anybody else, but it is our course laid out just for us in which we are to move. Now, there's two things that can keep us. We could talk a lot about these verses, and we don't have time tonight. But notice there's two things that can keep us from finishing the race. Folks, I don't know about you, but I want to finish my life well. You know, it's easy to start things. You ever notice that? There's a lot of people that started an awful lot of things. We've all driven by houses that seem people have started and didn't have enough to finish. I just uh, read is that our state capitol now that they're trying to redo the roof and they've run out of money because of the budget, and now there's blue tarps up there, and they're going to take everything down because they don't have enough money to finish. Now, I don't have a clue where your political side is all that. Be honest with you, I'm totally ignorant. Don't know why that is. But they've started a project, and our wonderful state capitol now has blue tarps on it because they can't finish what they started. It's easy to start stuff in life, isn't it? It's easy. It's easy to start a marriage. It's another thing to finish well. It's easy to start with having kids. It's easy to to start that job. It's easy to start taking those steps toward God. It's easy to, 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 to stop some things and start living a life that's godly, but it's the finishing that's where the rubber hits the road and becomes reality. You see, God challenges us, guys, not just to start, but we are to run with endurance, continuing on the race that is set before us. And here's the two things. The first one is we will never finish that race if we are not looking to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. You see, as we are in that race of life, as we are running that race that God has laid out before us, serving Him, living out the life, walking moment by moment, day by day in the Spirit, sensing how God is leading us in our path, making sure that our priorities are lining up with Him, our eyes have to be on Jesus. That's what the humility piece is all about. You see, if our eyes are on Jesus, we're not, our eyes aren't on us, lifting ourselves up in pride. And we just talked about that. So we have to put our eyes on Jesus. He's the one who is the author, the beginner, if you will, of our faith. He's the one that completes it, the finisher of our faith. But secondly, the second thing we have to do if we're going to run and win that race is we also not only have to look to Jesus, but we have to lay aside our sin. That's what verse 1 says. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And the emphasis is this, and then let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. When I was um, in high school, my dad and I used to race bicycles. It was kind of long before Lance Armstrong, and uh, in the day, it was kind of Greg LeMond was the the well known bike racer. And you know, it, it, we 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 in fact, we bought they were new at that time, but they were aluminum bicycles. Now they're kind of the rage and the fad, and a lot of people have got them. They're even more lightweight now, but the goal is you want your bike to weigh as little as possible and yet be strong. And so the frame was actually made out of aluminum. They were fat tubes because it didn't have the strength of steel. And They were just really lightweight bikes because the more it weighs, the more you got to carry and push and pedal. Well, folks, sin is just like that. The more things that you and I allow into our life the little strongholds, the little things that we allow to creep in, whether it be gossip, whether it be jealousy or anger or unforgiveness, whether it be covetousness or lust or greed or pride, all of that stuff that's in there and we just hold on to it. It's like you and I just piling up block after block, brick after brick, trying to run this race. And after a while, our tongues are hanging out. We're getting tired, and it's, it, we're breaking a sweat because we're trying to, on one hand, serve God, and on the other hand, we're dragging all of these anchors and these chains behind us right along with us. Notice the responsibilities on you and me. Oftentimes I we say, well, I just can't help it. I try, you know, God needs to do this or that. Well, God's already done his part. He sent Jesus to die on the cross. He paid for that. That sin is completely nailed to the cross. In fact, the Bible says that for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You want to talk about love for you? I mean, I've seen the passion of Christ. You've all seen that, and we've all seen the blood and the sweat drops of tears, and the Bible said Jesus had joy. Looking at the cross with joy in his heart, that's how much he loved you and me, knowing that he would free us from sin. For the joy he endured the cross, but he despised the shame that your my sin put on him. And now he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Right? He paid for that price. He endured that penalty and he rose again victorious over the grave. And you and I, the, Jesus has done everything. And so all that we must do is simply lay that aside. It's your and my job to do that. It's our responsibility to do that. No, we don't have the strength to do it, absolutely not. I mean, it's kind of like driving a car. I really don't understand how cars work. Some of you guys can strip it down. I mean, you could find a nut and bolt in the middle of that whole pile and know exactly where it went, and I'm just, I'm lucky if I can just figure out how to screw the thing on. You know, I'd rather work with wood any day than I would metal and cars, and, you know, if it's got a motor, that's just not my thing. I just don't understand them. So here it's kind of like this. I don't understand exactly how my car works, but I know in a little bit when I put the key in, the ignition, and I turn it on, and I put it in reverse, and I start turning in the wheel, that power steering is going to kick in. I'm turning the car. Well, not really. I mean, I'm just turning the little wheel. The car, to be honest with you, is kind of doing all the work, because that power, power steering and all that's good stuff. I don't know how it works, but I like it. I don't understand you know, uh, fuel injection and V6s and 8s and cylinders and overhead cams and dual exhaust and all this stuff. I don't get all that stuff, but I sure like it when it goes room and I get to step on the gas and it goes, you know what I mean? (laughs) Here's the deal. Jesus has done all the work. He's put the car together, if you will. All we must do is say, God, help me. (laughs) Humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. God, I can't save myself. Help me. Forgive me. I need you. I need that power steering to kick in. I need that gas to step out. I need that to kick in. I need you to help me. Help me. Confessing those sins before him, turning away from them in his strength, and trusting Jesus to be, have the power to actually transform and change our life. And guys, it, it takes a one-time kind of event in our life to do that. For the first time when we receive Jesus as Lord, a turning away of all of the things in our past and trusting Him once and for all to be Lord of our life. But then after that, it's literally, I don't know about you, but I find in many ways that I have to go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm already saved. I'm already forgiven. Thank you that sin has been paid. But I'm wrestling with some new things in my life that I didn't know about before. Help me. And if you're at all like me, it's a lot of times it's two steps forward and one back and it's three forward and, and two back. And it's just this pushing through and, and God evermore transforming us. But you know what? By God's grace, you keep pushing, you keep trusting him, you keep walking and moving forward and experiencing that transforming power of God. And by God's grace, you are not today where you were yesterday. And you will be tomorrow where you are not today. And that's the way the Christian life works. So Jesus calls us, guys, lay aside all of those weights. Lay aside all of that sin. Be holy, men of God. Men, there's a lot of things in this world that pull us. There's a lot of things that pull our attention, that grab our eyes. There's a lot of things that can pull us away from God. If you don't believe me, ask Tiger Woods. If you don't believe me, ask our former governor. If you don't believe me, just look at your neighbors and the people you work with. There are, it is, these things easily, I mean, this is not hard. They easily entrap us. And Jesus says, lay them aside. Put them aside. Be disciplined like an athlete and be focused, looking at Jesus, running the race that God has set before you. And folks, you never outgrow that one. I don't care how old you are or how young you are, you never retire from this one. You can retire from GE, you can retire from all kinds of companies, but you don't ever retire from this one. We are to look forward to the author and finisher of our faith. Whenever my, I'm with my dad, something he does invariably every single time as we say goodbye, he will hug me And he will wrap his arms around me. He's about 6'1". He's he's fairly thin. He's just taller than I am. He's a bigger man than I am. He will wrap his arms around me, and he'll whisper in my ears, and he'll say, Son, be holy. God has blessed you, but be holy. You can't do anything apart from that. Folks, David was an incredible king in the Old Testament, but where would David have been had he not fallen? Eli was a tremendous leader, spiritual and otherwise, and a judge of Israel. But where would Eli have been had he chosen to live out his life and to teach his kids right? Gideon was an incredible man of God, and we know this success and all that God did through Gideon. But at the end, Gideon turned to idols and lifted himself up in pride. What could God have done in Gideon's life had he been more holy Jonah, what could God have done in Jonah's life had he been more holy? What could God have done in Solomon's life and all of him had he been more holy? What could God do in your life and mine if we were more holy? Guys, take advice from dad. Your dads may never have taught you this, men. Be holy. Be a real man in today's world and culture. Live holy for the king. Live as a life of integrity. Wear that badge of honor well. You serve the Lord of hosts, the God of heaven and earth. He has adopted you as his child. His child. I heard the testimony recently of a couple that adopted a young son. I believe, as I recall, I may have this wrong. He was from South America and they had flown down and just, I can't even imagine what that's like, but just seeing picture after picture of child, of, of child after child thinking, I want to adopt them all and uh, realizing that you've got to find just the one that God wants. And he, this couple uh, adopted this young boy. I don't remember the young boy's name, but as I recall, he was somewhere around maybe eight years old, eight or nine, something like that. And so they brought him back home, and they put him in bed that night. And just the boy, everything was so new. And honestly, he had never had that kind of life before. He had lived a very, you know, impoverished life. And the little boy, as he went, as he uh, said goodnight to his new dad, he said, I will be a good son to you. I will be a good son that you will be proud of. And his dad walked away just, I mean, brokenhearted. Here's this little boy saying, thank you. He put him to bed the next night, and he said, "'Thank you. I will be a good son to you. I will honor you. I will be a good son for you. You will be proud of me.'" And just his dad just walking away is heartbreaking for what his son wanted to do. And the third night, he said, "'Son, don't say anymore for my my own emotional health. I can't take it anymore.'" Folks, we ought to have the attitude of that little boy. "'Thank you, Father.'" I will be a good son to you. I will serve you well. I will be faithful to you. Thank you, Father, for saving me out of all of this mess in my world. That we should live holy. Third thing I want to share with you tonight. the third advice from that is this: is have a heart. Go with me if you would, to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, verse 37. Christians ought to have the biggest hearts that there really are. Uh, there ought not be anybody in this world that has a bigger heart than you and I have. We ought to have an incredibly large heart toward God. We ought to have an incredibly large heart toward people. We ought to simply love God and love people with all of our heart. You know the story well, and it's in, it's in many different forms in the Bible, but Jesus was asked by the, the Pharisees and and they said in verse 36, teacher, they're asking Jesus a question, trying to trip him up. How, how, do, you, how do you get somebody who knows everything to mess up? <laughs> I mean, it's just not possible, you know, try all you want. It is not possible. So they were trying to trip him up, trying to trick him. And they said, teacher, which is a great commandment in the law? And in verse 37, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart soul, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And what's the second one? The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes on, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Guys, take all of the Bible. Well, at that time, Jesus was talking about just the Old Testament. But take all the Old Testament. How's about this? You guys, you, you Sunday school teachers, you have your kids memorize verses in the Old Testament. You know it's so cool? If you, they just learned two verses, they'd have it all covered. <laughs> Don't the kids, you know, your teacher has you learning like all the Ten Commandments and said, Teacher, I heard, you know, right here, all I got to do is learn these two verses and I got them all. I mean, that's what he basically says, right? These two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, all of the Old Testament. I mean, that whole first half, if you will, of the Bible is all in these two verses. And it simply says that all we need to do is to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind and love our neighbor the exact same way, the exact same way that we'd want to be loved. Guys, we ought to have a heart. We ought to have a heart for God. We ought to have an absolute. Our heart ought to break for God wanting to serve and love him. There's a, gen, a guy in my uh, life group that I lead. We call them life groups in our church. I'm a member of River of Life in Gilderland. Its church is probably about four years old, and we're right on Western Avenue, down, just down from the 20 Mall, if you know where that is. And uh, I lead a, a group in our home. We're taking a break right now for a couple of months, but we we let it, we had it on Sunday nights uh, all last winter and spring. And there's a, a young couple in, in, in that group, and... Um, and I'll never forget the day that he sent me an email, and he said, we've got to talk. Can I meet with you? And this was a little unusual, because I had known him for a while, and uh, we'll call him Bill. I'll keep, you know, I'll protect the innocent and all that good stuff, and so Bill said, can, can we get together? I'd like to. I said, sure. I'd love to buy you a cup of coffee. Let's get together, and so we sat down. I didn't know what was up, because he had never, you know, asked for anything like that before, and so I said, Bill, what's going on? He said, he said, "He said you're not going to believe this. But he said, Sunday when I went to church, if you had asked me, and this was just about an exact quote. He said, if you you'd asked me, were you know, was, was I going to heaven when I died? You know, was I saved? I would have said, yeah, sure, absolutely. You know, no question about it. I'm a, I'm a good person. I hadn't really ever done anything that wrong, you know. I mean, after all, you know, I believe in God. And so, yeah, definitely. But he said, after the service Sunday? He said, definitely not. He said, I'm not going to heaven. He said, I need help. And so we sat there in that, that diner, and uh, I laid out for him the plan of salvation, and I drew it all out, and, and I kind of drew a timeline, and just kind of put the beginning of creation, and 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 in the middle in here and put Jesus when Jesus died and he rose again. And I put a little stick figure with where Bill was and and I took and I, where he was born. And I took later on down his life where he personally placed his faith in Jesus as Lord. And then I put the little tombstone at the end and said, you die. And I said, where are you in this grand scheme? I'm glad he didn't tell me back in the you know creation, Genesis 1. You know, He at least knew what was going on. And he, but he said, and he put it right before the cross. He said, I'm right here said, I, I, I'm I'm i not saved. I shared the gospel with him again. And everything in his head said he was ready to trust Christ. But as I was listening to him, he was still trying to work this whole thing out. And this was a little unusual. And I said, Bill, I don't think you're really quite ready. I think you understand it. I think you're close. I think you're right there. But Bill, I don't want to. I don't want to give you false assurances. I don't want to, you know, to have you trusting in something that's that you really aren't trusting in. And I sensed he was still trying to earn his way to heaven. And it still hadn't got all that squared away in his mind and heart. And so I let Bill sit. I let him sit for probably about four or five months. He was still coming to church almost every week. He was in group every week in our home and. And as I was listening, as we were talking, boy, I could see him wrestling with the with the Bible and he was learning and really soaking it in. And I just again it was another one of those things. I thought, now's time. And so I came back, I had another trip, and I texted him when I was on the trip. I said, Can we get together again? He said, Yeah, that'd be great. I said, Let me buy you some more coffee. So we got back together again. And I said, Bill, you know, it's been a little while since we've talked and said, What's going on in your life? It really seems like you're growing and really things are really connecting in your world. He said, Oh man, it's been awesome. It's it's great. He said, I, "You know, I, I'm not, I'm not going out and getting drunk with the guys anymore." He said, "I'm, you know, they're they're noticing something." He said, "Boy, you don't seem to swear anymore," and and he said, "They they notice that there's something different about me." And then he talked about. He said, "Yeah, this is a whole change for me." He said, I, "You know, I said honestly, I'm not really." My house isn't that important to me anymore. He said, it really is about Jesus Christ. I really want to serve him. I want him to be most important in my life. And said, I'm excited to help my wife and my kids to to know Jesus. And just listening, I mean, going on and on. I wasn't priming the pump or asking questions. I mean, he's just bubbling over. And I'm sitting there just saying, wow, God, look at you work. Because I didn't tell him any of this stuff. And I said, Bill, tell me, when did this become real for you? And they said, oh, it's been about the last month or two since we've been having this group in your house. And I said, well, Bill, let me ask you this. Who are you trusting in to save you from your sin? Because I didn't want, you know, I just didn't want him thinking, okay, just because I hang around church and do all these churchy Christian things that everything's cool, and I'm got my, I got my heaven pass, you know, I'm on my way. And he said, oh, definitely. He said, I know Jesus died for my sins, and I'm a sinner, and I trust him to save me. And we talked on and on and on, and just seeing God at work in his life. Folks, that's what it means to have a heart for God. He had a heart that he was going his own way, doing his own thing, and it was about his house and how to take care of kids and everything else, which are good things, but they're not the most important things. He said, I don't care about that. I want Jesus. I want to honor Christ in my life. I want him to be most important in my world. Folks, you and I, as we live our life, should have a heart for Almighty God. We have a heart for Jesus that loves him supremely above all else. I don't know what that looks like in your world. Honestly, it's going to look a little different for you than it does for me. But we, at heart, ought to be completely sold out for God in every way. What do you get most excited about? Is it God or is it the sports? Is it God or is it your garden? Is it God or is it your work? Is it God or is it your retirement or your money? Where's, Where's your heart? seems to me that Jesus once said, where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. If it's in your 401ks where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And it's not on God. I challenge you, where is your heart? Have a heart for God. And then lastly, have a heart for people. As my dad has shared, and just as I've watched him live his life, you know, he's told me, he said, son, I would do anything I'll do anything that God wants me to do. And the only thing I ask is to let me lead lost people to him. I'll do anything. I don't need to be anybody. I don't need to be anywhere, but I will do anything. But I want to be used of God so that lost people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. Guys, how's your heart for people? Where's your priority? You know, it's about people. It really is about people and God. There are the only two things in this world, if I could say it in that way, that are eternal is God and people. Everything else is going to fall away. All the things we strive for and I, the hobbies and all those things are good. Please hear me and don't misunderstand me. They're good and God wants them to be used. They refresh us. They are an avenue that we can share the gospel with other people. They're an avenue that we can build and to grow up in our own kids. They're healthy. They're good. But they ought to be kept in order of priority because people ultimately are what's important. People are what's most important. Where are your priorities? Where do you spend your time? Where is your focus? Where is your heart? What's your priority in life? Jesus challenged us If you and I get to the end of our life and stand before Jesus, and if we want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant, can I put it in real terms today? Attaboy, you rock. I'm proud of you. You are awesome. Good job. Way to go. If we want him to say those kinds of things, we can't get that unless we have a heart for people. Unless we have a heart for people. Men, I don't know where you are in your life or in your world. It would be fascinating to sit down and just to talk with you and hear what you would have to say about your dad. I don't know if that's good memories, bad memories, no memories. Awesome memories, horrible ones. I have no idea. But I've learned something, men. I haven't met a man yet who, in their heart of hearts, that does not want to hear from their dad, to hear their dad say, "I'm proud of you, son." you did well. Good job. Ladies, I've learned even adult men, your husbands want that deep in their heart more than you ever know. By the way, ladies, that's why nagging is just so, I'm I'm dead serious, is so diametrically opposed to a man because it tears them down. It pulls them apart and they run away from it. It just rips them apart. Nagging is the opposite. Every man I know wants to be built up and say, I'm proud of you. Every man I know wants to be a hero to those in his life, his wife, his kids, his friends. Every man I've ever met deep down wants to be that. Guys, you want God to say, well done, and to say, I'm proud of you and your life. You want God to cheer you on even now and to bear that into your world. Live humbly. Live holy lives and live a life for, that has a heart for God and for people. And God will be your biggest cheerleader now. And when you die, he will say, that one's mine. That's my boy. He's coming to see me now. He's done well in his life. Come spend time with me. You've done well. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for Jesus as Lord. I thank you, Father, that Jesus died for us. And Lord, you sent your only son so that we could also be sons and daughters of you. Lord, thank you for making us a part of your family. Father, I pray this invitation, if there is someone here that's never trusted in Jesus as Lord, that even tonight they would trust him by faith. Lord, I pray that each of us would make these decisions to walk humbly, to be holy, and to have a heart for you and people. Lord, we want to be faithful servants of the Most High God. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.